You are listening to the Enormo Cast. I've been obsessing with the name Otaki since Sportiva released the slick blue shoe a couple years ago. Rhymes with Suvlaki. In Japanese, it apparently means cascade. And there's an old Maori town in New Zealand called Otaki. What exactly are you up to, Sportiva? So in the spirit of etymological adventure, I started climbing in them despite my unsavory fetish for the caress of a slightly worn pair of miras. Mm. And I gotta say, for sport climbing and really techie trad, I'm sold. I'm also sold on the name of the only color choice, Blue Flame. Cha-cha! But mostly, I smile at the comfort-to-performance ratio. Like any tightly fit shoe, a pair of otakes are not exactly a lavender bubble bath, but of course with Sportiva's dedication to the craft, the otakis slide on without any annoying stitch bumps and hot spots and remain tight where it matters. So if you want performance, perfect fit, and a shoe that rhymes with savory skewered meats, check out the otaki at sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. Kali Hey, climbers, that rock that you lovingly caress every weekend is just never going to love you back. Of course, it's never going to suddenly ask you what you're thinking right now either. But devoting even a tenth of that energy into an actual human relationship might be a better bet in terms of love and companionship, no matter what your alpinist friends say. Peter W. Gilroy is here to help. Climber and jewelry maker, Peter can hook you up with just the right gift for that human in your life who just smiles when you get home late from the crag or who is still belaying you even though you're falling lower and lower on your proj. So go to peterwgilroy.com and enter Enormo at checkout for a discount on art you can wear and to help the EnormaCast. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the... Uh the Normo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place, that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Galus. It is July 30th, 2019, about 11.30 at night here in Colorado. And this is episode 180 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Team Texas alum, climber Claire Burfind. We got back from Squamish not too long ago, and I'm trying to you know, get all my Enormacast duties taken care of here for the month of July. Just getting it in at the end. Had a great time up there. Climbed a lot of good stuff. Climbed five out of six days. And on our quote-unquote rest day, we paddled a sea kayak into the wind for several hours, which let me tell you is not an excellent rest day activity for climbing. But uh, the big highlight was doing Angel's Crest, a big old-school kind of trad ridge route on the Chief. That was a lot of fun. That's the way we finished the trip. And, uh, you know, not not a lot of excitement to report. It was a nice couple's trip. I didn't work a lot. I got a lot of good suggestions to talk to people up there. And uh, I kind of just didn't really feel like working through the whole trip. I did, I did get one interview with an old friend and connected with some others. And also, you know, I brought my computer and forgot the plug. So just, just couldn't get anything done. So anyway, trying to catch up here on the EnormaCast at the end of July, get one more episode out. And no real business here at the Enormacast. We're just 
cruising through the dog days of summer, trying to beat the heat here in Colorado. I got a bunch of great stuff in the bag, so so I'm kind of kicking back just a little bit. But I was looking for opportunities of other people to uh, interview. And also, back to the Squamish thing, thanks for the suggestions. I got a lot of good ideas for people up there, and uh, you know, I'll come back around on that. So see who I can get done and get on the show as we near 200 episodes. Not going to do it in 2019, but sometime not too far into 2020, we're going to hit number 200. And I don't know what I'm going to do for that one. Okay, let's get to the interview with Claire. I got this opportunity up at the Black Diamond headquarters out in the parking lot again, not unlike Allison Vest. And uh, this was a tricky, tricky interview because first of all, being out there listening, I can hear all the noise going on, people going by, talking, wondering what's going to appear in the podcast, whether it's going to screw it up. It makes me kind of anxious and hard to uh, concentrate. And then once again, we're in this world that I don't know too much about, comp climbing, but I've been having a lot of fun sort of discovering what it's all about by talking to these people. But the big thing was that this woman sitting across the table from me, this young woman, was just kind of blew my mind. She she just seemed so together and with it. And uh, I think she's only 20. I did the math. I didn't ask her on the show, but I think she's 20, maybe 21. And uh, I mean, I kind of wondered why she was climbing. Not that she's not an amazing climber and, and it's given her some awesome opportunities to travel around the world, but I was just sitting there listening to her, the things she was saying, the poise with which she was saying it, and picturing her in any position anywhere in the world, like literally like a diplomat, a doctor, a surgeon, a lawyer, I mean, whatever, whatever she put her mind to, it was just like, how could she not be successful? And then she throws this little twist in the end of the interview, which which you'll hear, which kind of blew my mind, um, just because of the poise with which, you know, she was speaking across this little picnic table in a parking lot to me. Yeah, anyway kind of blown away by young Claire Burfind. I, I think we had a great conversation. I lament the noise, but but I think it all worked out fine. You know, and and if the Enormicast is still going in, in a few years, um I really need to touch base and, and just find out what what other things this woman has succeeded at because um yeah, I'm just certain she will be great no matter what she puts her mind to. If she sticks with climbing, awesome. If she becomes a NASCAR driver, I'm sure she'll win it all. I mean Maybe she'll just stuff it and cure cancer. All the better. So I hope you guys enjoy listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it with Claire Burfine. High-performance climbing apparel that looks so cool on your Instagram can look notoriously out of place when you're back in real life amongst the civvies in the valley below. Just so you know, while you're waiting in line for your frothy mochaccino, bright orange pants pretty much say, I just escaped from prison. Enter Black Diamond's new forged denim pants. The Cordura blended denim stretches when you need it, fends off sharp crystals and rough rock, and looks great back at work with just enough chalk dust to let other climbers in the office know that you are training at lunch, you sick bird. So if you want to feel good, look good on the rock and when mingling with lowlanders like an undercover climbing super agent, and go to blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop and rub up against a pair of forged denim pants from Black Diamond. Black Diamond is a proud sponsor of the Enormacast. So you're you're a Texas person, is this right? Yeah, yeah. I I grew up in Plano, Texas. Plano, Texas. No rocks. <laughs> right. I'm I'm familiar with Plano. My dad Are you? lived in Plano, Texas. Uh, part-time for like eight years. Oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. I've been there. So you know how like flat and nothing Yeah, yeah. Is. I mean, I have, <laughs> I've been there. I have no memory of it whatsoever yeah. because it was, I don't know, it was just there. It was yeah. just a part of the whole scene there. And I grew up in the suburbs, so I'm not like hammering it because suburbs right. are suburbs. So, And it's yeah. a suburb of Dallas. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. And I've, I've lived there my whole life, so okay. it's kind of funny that I ended up in climbing. It's like... In a way, it, it feels like it kind of shouldn't have happened, you know, like grow up. Um, I didn't grow up in Boulder with the mountains in my backyard. Mm-hmm. You know, I my mom and I got kicked out of a mommy and me gymnastics class when I was three because I climbed the rope to the ceiling. Oh, and shame everyone on you. freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. And I was always climbing the refrigerator, like climbing everything. And 
my parents like we have to find an outlet god it's it's really interesting because that that sounds almost like a a story that's like made up after the fact but so many climbers in general but also you know uh, climbers that then find themselves in climbing gyms now that is really a common thing like yeah. they were just freaky climbers that climbed everything <laughs> yeah yeah i think i've i think i've just always loved it mm-hmm. um and I started doing summer camps and stuff. You were supposed to be six when I was five. My parents lied to get me in because <laughs> they were like, she needs to do this or she'll just climb everything else in our house. Yes, yeah, so I started doing summer camps when I was like six, just did it for fun for a while. And then when I was around 10, I joined a youth climbing team called Team Texas. Mm-hmm. And that's when like, I yes. really got into it. Yeah. Team Texas. Yeah. So I work with um, Kyle Cleanscales, who's been my coach slash second dad since I was 10. I'm still really close with him and the program. And I did, I worked with them like all through my youth climbing, so 10 to 18. And then when I was 15, I started competing for the adult national team. And I still work with all those guys. Right. And so Kyle's the, the godfather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Texas. He started Team Texas in 96. Right. And this is... Uh... It's an, I mean, I'm, I, when I said yes, it's like I have a Team Texas person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, had, I've, I've talked to uh, one or two others. and But anyway, so here you are. I'm going to just, like, get into it. This, this thing that about the Texas, like, being flat, the Plano, Texas, mm-hmm. it's right in the name, Plain. Um, <laughs> and yet it's this, this really crazy hotbed of the particularly co- really good competition climbers. Mm-hmm. Thanks to this Team Texas thing, as well as some other programs, but I think they've They've sort of like satellite it yeah, off of that. Yeah, it's kind of a, a dominant, right. the dominant so, team in the area. Uh, the Team Texas thing is the is the is the, the the nuts and bolts of why that happened. But why, in your estimation, do you think like a Team Texas appeared in a place like that? You know, versus a team, you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, or a yeah. team. I mean, what, what you know what I mean? There seems to be some alchemy down there that yeah. created this need for it or uh, or um you know a desire for this type of program yeah kyle, thinking about growing up in the in that zone what do you think kyle has just always been amazing with people uh-huh. i always joke like he knows me better than i know myself it's the most annoying thing in the world uh but he built team texas not as like a competitive team to try and win national championships or whatever but he just tried to create this family environment uh-huh. and so our practices and whatever, our trips were always like we were hanging out as a group and as a family and then climbing was just the thing that we did together. Right. And so we performed the best when we were having fun and we were like really enjoying each other's company. And so we always joke like we never really felt like we trained until like comps got a lot more serious a couple of years ago. Right. But all of growing up, like we just kind of really had fun with it. And that was like really compelling and everybody still like comes back and visits and um it's a really like special environment that kyle's created so i think people just gravitate towards that right so it it wasn't like i'm not i'm I'm looking for some sort of environmental influence but it really sounds like but it really sounds like it was this guy yeah i mean created something that was special regardless of where he was. I can't think of any environmental influence. Right. Like I, it's just a gym and people happen to find it. And then people are compelled by the community. And, um, I don't know any environmental things other than just gym, like a bunch of gyms being in the area. Right. And I guess a bunch of kids who wanted to kick rocks together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that like the indoor, uh, the indoor influence or the, the influence it's had on indoor climbing actually is really more what I'm trying to say, like as it's sent these people into the world um, right. and, and they have moved to other places like Boulder or whatever. Um, I mean, that definitely was because there was nothing else to climb. I mean, mm-hmm. the indoor was the focus. And yeah. in a place like Boulder, which you brought up, you know, as another area where there's a huge climbing influence, you know, at least, especially say 10 or 15 years ago, the the gym is this thing you do when you're not climbing outside. Yeah. Uh, that's changed Just as like well a, a tool there. between right, like right. real climbing. Well, yeah. for you guys, it was the thing. Yeah. It's start, finish, middle. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, Kyle would also like 
he would take us to the red for a month right. every summer and we would just camp and then like Waco every winter but it's not like we would drive 14 hours to go to go to the red and that still feels like my home crag right. you know it is 14 hours away from me but I grew up climbing there every year since I was 10 with the right. team but yeah mostly like the gyms and I think gym climbing and kind of the boom of that has, has brought something to these areas where people would never otherwise experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I never would have discovered how much I love sport climbing outside and I never would have been able to travel and compete and like all these things if it wasn't for a gym kind of being the access point to right, all that, right. you know? Yeah. I think it's cool. These, uh, these trips, like these climbing mm-hmm. trips, especially, you know, as a kid, I mean, as a teenager or even younger, when was, well, how old were you the first time you like went to the red? 10. Yeah. 10. Yeah. Like that's just a thing as a, as a guy who started climbing 30 some years ago, I just mm-hmm. can't even conceive of me as a 10 year old, you know, going to a place like the red yeah. and, and rock climbing. Yeah. I mean, I think I learned to lead climb the same time that my friend Rita learned how to lead belay and they just kind of put us on a route at roadside and we're like let us cry and like scream and figure it out um but yeah we just like we would take over crags we would like we would post at miguel's where we were going so that people knew to avoid it (laughs) like team texas is going to drive by and everybody's like oh shit like 30 kids are about to climb all my projects yeah, <laughs> like exactly. you better get out i'm not going there tomorrow <laughs> make me feel bad yeah as a 10 year old claire yeah. sends your pride <laughs> so that's pretty cool um yeah and and so outdoor climbing was a big part of your life then or not a big part but you you had access to it every year at least a little bit yeah i would say for me it's always been something that was like really only because I enjoyed it and only because I loved the people that I was with and all of this. Like I never really, I mean, I probably should at this point, but I never go on a trip or am planning a trip and thinking like, I want to send this route. This is my goal. This is what I'm going to prepare for. Like, I'm just excited to get out there and enjoy it because I, it's not very easy for me to get there most of the time because I do live in Dallas and yeah, growing up, it was like we spent a lot of time in the gym and then climbing outside is just vacation mm-hmm. and um, just like pure fun. You're not, I was never like working for anything. And right. that's actually when I, end, when I end up like performing my best is when I'm like in that headspace. Right. You know, like competitions that I go to whenever uh, kind of everything is in place and I need to execute. If I'm thinking about that, then I bomb every time. Really? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> so, I mean, let's get a little bit into into that psychology then. I mean, what that's a hard thing to deal with. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like a, it's almost like a weird Taoist uh, philosophy of like succeeding by letting go or like I mean, do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, I mean, it sounds it, it, it's so idealistic, right. but like I'm not bullshitting you. That's actually how my brain works in this No, stuff. I mean it's not, I mean I I thought I don't think it sounds uh I think it sounds completely reasonable. Yeah. I mean, you're you're working towards whatever goal. Mm-hmm. And that may be a competition this weekend or it may be an overall performance goal. Like how can you not be thinking yeah. about that all the time when every waking hour is going do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it seems like it would be almost impossible to not, yeah, like put it on a pedestal and and worry about it. But I think in you have if you have yeah. to do it, how do you do it? I think in some areas of your life, like you enjoy yourself when you perform well mm-hmm. and like you put everything into the performance, and then you enjoy that success, whatever it is, like work, like all these different things it could be. But then for me, with climbing and competing it's always been the opposite. Like when I enjoy myself and when I'm having like a positive experience with my friends and my environment, then I perform well. Okay. And if I try and switch it up, like I, I don't know, I can't train myself into that way of thinking. Like however many hours I spend in the gym, like getting stronger, if I'm not in the right headspace, I don't think it means much. So how do you control that? It sounds like there's could be, 
you know, the dangers of these externalities that you have no control over yeah. than controlling your performance. Yeah, it's hard, but I, like, when I go to World Cups, I am so motivated by what I get to be a part of. Like, I don't, I'm not going to World Cups and, like, oh, I want to win a gold mm -hmm. medal or I want to be on the podium. I mean, that would be great. But I go to World Cups because I love being a part of the circuit and I love being a part of that group of athletes from all over the world. And I love traveling. And that's what really motivates me. And when I can kind of just focus on enjoying those things, which is easy because I do love it so much, then I, I'm able to compete how I want. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, well, let's. Can you talk at all about um, maybe the opposite of where you did? Can you give us an example of like maybe where it did break down? Yeah. A little uh, bit, and, and, and you this fell year. apart. I mean, I, I don't want to like go down like no, all your no. missed opportunities, but more specifically, like okay, you find yourself in a position where these things were causing you to lose your focus on, on the good part. I, I love talking about this stuff because it's, it's real, you know, and it's a part of it. And every, every person experiences it. Every competitor experiences that, obviously. But this past summer, when I was training for the World Championships in Innsbruck, so leading, leading up to that, I had done some World Cups, and I was just kind of in, in a good space, like just enjoying myself, just climbing. And I actually ended up fourth in the World Cup in Arco, And then my next event was the World Championships. So then I had like this month of training and I went to Innsbruck and I worked with uh, coach Roman Kranjic, who's, he's Slovenian, but he's now the Austrian national team coach. Uh -huh. And I worked with him every day, like for a month and everything felt really good. I felt so strong and great endurance, whatever. I was even working on speed climbing, which is hard for me to get myself to do. Um, and it was almost like when the competition, when it came time to the competition, everything was all lined up and everything was going so well that in my mind I was like, okay, well, this competition is going to be perfect then. Like, this is, this is going to be great because everything is all in order and so how could anything go wrong? And I was just kind of thinking about, I was thinking too far ahead, you know? It's like, a, it's a weird pressure that I put on myself. It's easier for me to send something outside if, like, It's my last burn of the day, and, like, I'm not expecting anything. I'm just climbing, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's easier for me to compete when I have no expectations of how anything is going to turn out, and I just focus on the things I can control. But in that moment, it was like I had this really good result, and then a month of training, and I, was, I felt even stronger than I was when I got that result in ARCO. And I just was super in my head about it and thought, I could plan exactly how right. things were going to play out, you know, and you never can. And so I totally flopped in um, all three disciplines in Innsbruck that oh, year. Right. Yeah. You're smiling about it right now. Yeah. <laughs> and laughing. But, I mean, where, 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 where did that put you in terms of afterwards? I mean, that's it was kind of the last event of the season. And, right. Uh, I mean, like, you win some, you lose some, you know. It's, it's a part of the game, and I think... Having those experiences, um, that's really important for me to learn. Like everything is just kind of kind of a learning experience. Like every time a competition goes bad, I know what not to do for the next time, or know what to focus on instead for the next time. So if it goes great, focus on what you did to make it great. If it goes bad, like then you have something you know that you need to change. Right. But did you, I mean, you're like right after the comp, you're like, oh well. <laughs> No, I was actually, like, ex I was so exhausted. Right. <laughs> I was, like, I was so emotionally drained from, I had been in Europe, like, all summer, and I felt like everything was building up to this, and then I just blew it. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was emotional, but I think I, even though I might not compete forever, I think I'll always be a climber in some capacity, and right. I always just have this underlying feeling of, um, it'll it'll work out somehow you know right. and um even though this part wasn't good like i know i have so much more ahead of me to look forward to and so it's always kind of about the next thing right and not dwelling on the past well, that's extraordinarily healthy it's pretty good if yeah. i can if i can do it right if you yeah can do it right i mean honestly like that's is about as good as it gets yeah i mean kyle used to teach us um like during 
a route or something when I was little, maybe if I, if I slipped on a foot and I caught myself or I made some dumb mistake or wasted some energy at the bottom, I used to like really dwell on that and like, Oh, now I'm not going to be able to do well at the top or whatever when I was young. And I would kind of freak out. Um, and he always kind of, he just taught everybody. He used to say, erase the chalkboard. Like if you make, if you make a mistake, like it's immediately over and you can't think about it because that's not helpful. Right. Like if you're thinking in the past, you're going to be angry. If you're thinking in the future, you're going to be nervous. So whatever you can do to get yourself like into the moment is going to be the most beneficial to you. Right. So in your, in your past climbing, when you were, um, you know, when you're a teenager and you're competing, uh, you know, you have this sort of like, well, I was just, you know, kind of living in the moment, having fun and, and things were falling into place. Was there sort of a moment or a time period when you kind of at least partially shifted into this like, well, wow, this could be, you know, something I could pursue at a super high level or I could almost or I could pursue as a career or, you know, is it more of that things just kept falling into place? I remember when the when it was announced that climbing would be in the Olympics, my first thought was like, oh, cool. Like, I'm going to know the people who are in the Olympics. I wasn't like, oh, I really want to do that. You know, I just thought it's so far down the road. Like, that's a really cool thing, but I'm going to go to college and that's not really, I'm excited for our sport and for the growth of the sport, but it wasn't really something that I immediately was drawn to. Mm -hmm. Um, and then a year later, or maybe it was later that year. I don't really remember when, um, I went to my last youth worlds in Innsbruck and I won bouldering and sport and I got fourth in speed and the three girls who beat me in speed weren't competing in the overall. So I literally had a rank of one and, um, I just kind of realized like, Oh, Whoa, like maybe, maybe I could do it. You know, maybe it uh -huh. could be me. Like, why not? Why not try or why not right. think about that? I kind of immediately discounted myself. I was like, oh, it's going to be so fun to watch Yanya and Miho and all these girls, you know. Um, and I never really considered it until some, like, real evidence was in front of me that I could be successful in the overall. Right. And I've always, I've always climbed in all three disciplines, you know. Um, I used to hate speed climbing. I'm still not the biggest fan of training speed climbing. Right. Just because it's so repetitive to me and I'm such an over competitive asshole. Like I'm only motivated to go fast if I'm racing someone in a competition. So if I go to the gym, like I cannot get myself to just beat your, do a personal best no. against yourself. Kind oh my of, gosh. Kind of no, training. it's yeah. like beating my head against the wall. I just can't do it. Um, but I've, I've always done all three and I've always like loved being an all around athlete and loved going to sport and speed nationals and participating in everything. Mm -hmm. And like, um, yeah, I love racing, but I hate speed climbing. Like, I love competing and racing, and it's so fun, but the that element of it, like, the, the work that goes behind it, I'm just not on the same level as these, are, as these other girls, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, let me add, the speed climbing is the funny thing that's, like, in all these, these talks I've talked with, now that we're talking about the Olympics, because that's mm -hmm. what's put it on the plate for Americans, Canadians, a lot of Europeans. Um, and everybody's sort of around it. What specifically do you do to train that besides <laughs> just like try to haul ass up those holes? I mean, is there is there sort of like um, methods and ideas that have been refined by some of these, you know, these speed demons, you know, from yeah. some, some of these other countries where it's a much more popular thing. I mean, are you guys looking to, to find this science in that the way you do for strength training and bouldering yeah. and stuff like that? Yeah, what does there, it look like? There are some people that have it really dialed right. for me personally. It's probably pretty annoying to anyone who is like, super into speed climbing but i like if i have a nationals or something like two weeks before the event i'll like get on the wall again and kind of like wake up my muscle memory uh-huh and just do that throughout the two weeks and then when i'm competing i'm just like i just always manage to get my best time somehow because i'm so competitive okay. and so like motivated by that so my training is literally just like oh i have to like 
wake up my speed climbing skills before the Uh, comp, you know, and then I try not to touch it until the next one just because I'm bitter about it and it makes me crazy. (laughs) Do you think that's, um, I mean, has it's been effective for you, that kind of thing? Because you're definitely like, uh, not that any real hardcore speed climbers probably listen to this, but, you know. I've won the speed national championship three times. Okay. So it's working. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Which is like kind of encouraging this bad behavior I have, Uh you know, um, and now everybody else coming into it is like working so hard and I'm just, Oh God, like I just want to race you guys. Like I don't want to train this thing, you know, but there's some people, um, Alexei, I don't know his last name. He's a, he's a speed coach that now like works out of Atlanta Okay. and I have worked with him, uh, a few times and he is really, really smart. And just has all these kind of innovative ways to to train, like, coordination and, um, like, reaction time. Mm-hmm. But the actual speed climbing itself, like, it's strength, but it's muscle memory. Right. You know? And just kind of executing being smooth. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's been so fascinating because... Uh, I, on another podcast, I talked to Chris Parker, who went to Innsbruck, you know, from, mm-hmm. from Black Diamond. And he gave us kind of the lowdown. And it wasn't long after it was on everybody's purview. This mm-hmm. and, and for you guys who've been competing, like, it, it wasn't totally out of the blue. And you've been doing it. Mm-hmm. But for us casual observers of competition yeah. climbing, like, I didn't even realize that it was the same route. Yeah, it's always kind of been, like, its own thing, Mm -hmm. even within competition climbing. I mean, kind of the way that um, the the perception of competition climbing is from, like, maybe these, like, old-school big wall guys. It's like, oh, like... Me. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, like, what is this? I don't understand. Like, why is climbing... Why is this a part of what I do, you know? Um, and in competition climbing, there's that divide in our community, too, where it's like, uh, right. speed climbing, like, that's not the real, that's, like, track and field stuff. You know, right. that's racing. That's not climbing. Right. And that's kind of the general perspective of it. But then when the Olympics came around, now people have to, like, yeah, hum- you humble themselves, you know? Yeah. 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 And everyone loves to talk shit on speed climbing. I love to talk shit on speed climbing. But I love competing so much that it's, like... I, you just have to accept as part of it, you know? I don't know. I mean, it's been fascinating because, well, actually, I just talked to Allison Best, and um, I don't know if it, it may be out before I put this one. I'm not sure if it's out there yet, but nevertheless, um, she pointed out, and I hadn't really realized, is that the, the triple format is actually, like, really hosing these speed guys more yeah. than anybody else. Yeah, it's insane, actually. And, you know, because they're not going to get anywhere near being on the podium for the other two yeah the other two disciplines so it's basically like discounted them more so than it, than anybody else in the climbing world, yeah. which is a freaking shame yeah you know in terms of sport because in terms of sport sport period you know you you want to hope that your best people are doing the thing that that they're best at yeah yeah and basically I, it seems to me, and maybe this will play out differently than I'm imagining, but it seems to me that, no, the best speed climbers aren't going to be in the speed comp, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's just, like, yeah. philosophically weird. Yeah, and wrong, it sucks. And, know? like, the just the way that the combine works, like, right. maybe not even all the best lead climbers, yeah. all the best boulders. It's just the way that um, the nature of the combined format. Yeah. But I know... Uh, Originally, so the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, right. told IFSC, International Federation of Sport Climbing, that climbing could be in the Olympics either as only speed climbing or as a combined discipline. Okay. Um, and so from the IFSC's perspective, they're like, okay, well, if we go into it with a combined, eventually if, if it's big and people like it, we can separate can it out it and up. we'll have yeah, more medals, yeah, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just a it, tricky yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's kind of like just what we had, what we had to go for to get our foot in the door. Um, and I think next year it's already, or not next year. Next time. And yeah. Paris 24 is already different. Right. Speed's its own thing and sport and bouldering are combined. Okay. Well, that's good because I, they must have realized that. And I'm sure the yeah. the speed demon climbers, yeah. you know, have been complaining more than the not speed climbers. Yeah. 
because yeah, I, I, and it hadn't even occurred to me, but it, yeah, they got totally hosed. Yeah, because it's really easy to train speed climbing. Like there's, it's kind of like you learn the route, and mm-hmm. this will like this is exactly what you're going to do right. every time, and like if you can get consistent and get like get strong and familiar. Um, then you're going to be able to perform well, right. to perform well for yourself and in relation to the other guys who are maybe learning speed climbing. Right. right. Uh, but from a speed climber, like for a speed climber to go and transition into bouldering or sport climbing, it's a completely different set of skills, obviously. And, uh, if you are a speed specific person, like you only speed climb, then you don't climb like like the the guys don't climb like V14, you know. Right. And everybody on the World Cup circuit climbs insanely hard and like you just sure. you can't build yeah, yeah. that quickly right. enough in the time frame that we have. Well, the, the ironic thing I guess from our perspective anyway is that you know it's it could very well come down to who can post up the speed. Yeah. You know. Yeah, because no, I, I think it will. So yeah, I think speed will. is like the deciding factor. Yeah, it really is going to be, mm-hmm. which is is kind of wild because everybody is, I think, strategizing. I think it's funny too, like um, if all these non-climbers are spectating or whatever, they have no idea what's a hard move and what's an easy move. Mm-hmm. Like, And when you're watching someone really strong do something really hard, it looks like they just did a V2 move, you know? And then in speed climbing, someone who doesn't understand the difficulty of things are like, holy shit, like five and a half seconds right. is fast. I understand that. <laughs> like, yeah, watching the, the, the lion, uh, what's his name, Riza. Oh, God. Watching that guy climb the wall. It's the like, self-proclaimed, he's, he, on his Instagram it says he's the fastest vertical man in the world. Yeah, I think he, I think he is. <laughs> I don't know. He's scary. Yeah, but nevertheless, like watching him climb, you're like, okay, that's, again, just like as, as, as an observer, you're like, that's some explosive, wild athleticism, yeah. you know? And I think, again, watching, uh, like, the bouldering, like, I've often joked, I mean, not just bouldering in general, but but climbing in general, mm-hmm. strength-type climbing. Like, if you see pictures of, like, Alex Honnold with his shirt off, if you told some sports physiology, like, phys- physiologists, like, this is our best guy, he would be like, huh, I think I could... <laughs> do some work you know or like you know you can probably improve upon this (laughs) super like ripped but tiny you know japanese climbers or whatever like i don't know it doesn't make sense in a way but i don't know it's it's all gonna play out um and for all the you know back and forth on it i think most climbers who have a little bit of uh skin in the game are gonna watch yeah you know yeah i mean i like so the qualifications for the Olympics, I don't know if you talked about no, this with me. anyone else yet. So there's 20 spots per gender for the world, right? I might be missing up, messing up the numbers a bit, but so seven of those spots will come from the top seven of the combined world championships and um, from any country. So uh-huh. there's no, no country is guaranteed any spots except Japan gets one per gender, right? So then there's 19 left. Seven of those spots are going to the top seven at the combined world championships. And then throughout the World Cup season, which is basically April to October, um, athletes will have a score based on their two best bouldering results, two best lead and two best speed. And then the top 20 (laughs) out of that goes to a qualifying event in Toulouse, France. Okay. And the top seven go to the Olympics. Okay. And then there, I think that leaves, yeah, that leaves five. So then those are the continental spots. What and about, the winner, the, oh, sorry. The winner of the combined continental championships okay. will go. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's like three, three ways you can kind of qualify. Right. Is there, um, there's no guarantee that any other country has somebody in there besides no. Japan? I mean, we might have two women and two men, and we might have nobody. Okay. You know? Um, Which I think, like, being the first year and only having 20 athletes, I think is actually really rad because you know that it's the 20 best. Like, we don't have to make sure that, like, I don't know. Like, we're not going to take a spot that would be better served 
from for someone from Slovenia, you know, and like right. someone else isn't going to take a spot that would be better served for our, you know. It's right, just right, right. it's but, just how do you perform in a World Cup season? Like this is who's going. Okay. Yeah. Is that scary? Like it it's just it's what we do, right. you know. Uh it's intimidating, but it's not I don't think it's really any different. Right. It's just the next level of competition. Uh-huh. Cuz this like all of us we spend I mean, most of the year training and traveling and competing all over the place, like that's, we do it because we love it, you know, mm-hmm. and this is like another opportunity that kind of elevates the level of competition or clearly elevates it. Um, and it's this new challenge, the combined, I think people are definitely intimidated a little bit. I think that would be fair to say, but I don't think anyone's, anyone's like scared of it. Right. It's, it's what, it's what we love to do. So. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that combined thing is forcing people to, you know, obviously broaden their skills, mm-hmm. but, but also, you know, uh, there, there does become like a bunch of strategy in thinking about, you know, cause the way, the way it's, the way you end up on top of the combined. Yeah. How do you prioritize? Yeah. Which, which ones? And yeah, yeah I mean, it, it should be interesting in terms of this next couple of years of people sort of finding their their place and what they need to do yeah is there you know you just explained all that to me and i'd have to think about it, it again yeah. listen, <laughs> listen back to it it's been explained to me about a hundred times right, so. right. is is there any sort of like mechanism in there where somebody who's really really good could just blow it at the wrong time and you know sort of a sudden death i don't it didn't sound <laughs> like it i think well because you you have like three chances right, right? right so there's being consistent over the world cup season right. getting this invitation the qualifying event if you blow it there yeah sure but right. then maybe you do really well in the world championships right. and you have a shot or maybe you win your continental okay. championship so there's three there's three kind of areas so let me ask you this if you if you qualify at the world championships then you are you can you still go to toulouse too uh I mean, I don't think you would. I okay, think you'd... because so the hierarchy of how it works, like um, at World Championships, imagine like Margo and Ashima get first and okay, second, yeah. and then imagine, That's what I'm about, yeah. and then imagine I win to lose, they go because the World Championships is like number one, right? And I'm I would be the third American, so I'm out. It doesn't matter that I, okay, you know. So if those spots are don't, don't t- t- put yourself on the other side of that analogy. Well, I don't. <laughs> so you and Ashima are are one, and then Margot gets out. Just I'm just trying to help all you right, out with right. the positivity. It's easier. It's easier to. I know you're not anyway. supposed to say that. And I'm kind of like years. I'm kind of out of it, uh, mostly like already. <laughs> really? You know? I mean, last year, like I had I had a great year. Um, I was national champion in sport and speed, and like did really well on the World Cup circuit. Uh, World Cup circuit, excuse me. And then I just kind of had a really rough, like, six months. Like, I came home from World Championships, and I got mono. And I was, like, out of it, like, so exhausted. I was sleeping, like, 14 hours a day. Oh, that sounds and, awesome. And, like, actually. napping. No, it was not awesome. No, I mean, for me, I'd be super stoked. <laughs> I was <laughs> excited fun. in the beginning. I was like, oh, yeah, I get to be, like, lazy. And then I was like, oh, I'm, like, actually right. trapped in how tired I am. Right. Like, I can't right. make myself yeah, wake good, up, good, you know? Good. And that was... Um, like October until January, I want right. to say. Um, or no, not January, maybe like maybe December. Uh-huh. And then in December, I partially ruptured my A4 in my ring finger on my right hand. And then the qualifications for the U.S. team to go to all of the Olympic qualifying stuff right. is the combined championship in January, bouldering nationals in February, and sport and speed nationals in March. Okay. So... I couldn't really train on my finger. It was really bothering me. And then I would just kind of show up and like try and compete. And then I would do nothing again and then show up and try and compete. Um, just because I wanted to give myself a shot. Right. And I really wore myself down. And uh, now I am kind of being forced to like take some serious time off. And um, I, yeah, I'm, I have an invitation to compete at the World Cup in Vail. I won't be able to go. And then I won't get invitations for the Lead World Cups because I bombed at SES Nationals this year. And 
I guess it's not SES anymore. Whatever. You know, it's Sport Nationals. Right. Um, and you have to accrue points throughout the season within the World Cups to be invited to the World Championships. Okay. And so I'm like, You're all of that me down is done. There. I know. You're bringing me down. Yeah. But honestly, like, I mean, as much as it sucks, like, it's just, it's another one of those things that I cannot really control and I just kind of have to accept. And I potentially, in 2020, in January, um, that's when our continental stuff starts happening, the Pan American Championships. So potentially I will be able to compete for a spot to go to Pan Am and then compete there and try and get that one spot to go. Okay. But that's like last-ditch effort in January, and I'm missing like this whole season, you know? Right. But um, I kind of see it as more of an opportunity, I guess. I was really beating my head against the wall in a lot of different ways and now I'm excited to kind of focus on all these other parts of me that I never really put that much energy into you know like what uh I mean I get I don't know if this is like too personal or anything no, super this personal is great I don't know if this is too too much information or too personal um but I really really struggle with anxiety okay um and I have for a very long time and it's really easy for me to kind of trick myself and distract myself into not dealing with those types of things that I really need to kind of be working through um, and like dive into training or dive into yoga or like go on a trip to go compete in Japan and you can just it's easy for me to not work on myself because Mm -hmm. I have so many other things I can kind of direct my energy and attention towards but yeah, uh, mental health is something that I think is obviously there shouldn't really be a stigma, but there is. And I think there's not a lot of open space in the climbing community where people talk about it. Right. Um, and it's very real for me, you know? What, what, so when you say, oh, I can dive into this or I can dive into that, what, what's wrong with that? Cause it seems like almost like, well, oh, you have anxiety. You should try yoga. Yeah. So, so, you know, they, they both feel like maybe a symptom of it it's, as well as a cure or not a cure, but yeah. as well as therapy. Sorry, cure is not the right word. Do you know what I mean? Like it's more just like I'm really good at avoiding. OK, so avoiding the, the, the diving in is yeah, yeah, actually yeah. like. Uh, yeah. So like it. all like, for example, like the World Cup circuit this summer, I kind of withdrew from everybody at home like not even really realizing I was doing it. And I was like, oh, I don't need to talk to them. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm being so independent and traveling. And then towards the end, I started to realize, oh, shit, like I've just been avoiding dealing with all these anxiety and all this anxiety and all these feelings and um, withdrawing from these people because I'm kind of embarrassed about what I, or like ashamed of what I'm going through, you know? Right. And it's really easy for me to um, just distract myself and convince myself that it's not something I need to deal with. It's not something that needs my attention. Right. Um, and I'm really good. I love believing my, my own bullshit, you know? Um, and so now that I have this time where I'm not on this crazy rigid schedule with the World Cups, like I'm just really ready to kind of work on myself. I'm tired of feeling like a crazy person uh-huh. sometimes. So what is working on yourself look like do you think uh it's like going to therapy Mm -hmm. and writing and uh trying to get better about communicating with people i think withdrawing is like the biggest thing i do it's just i don't tell anybody what's going on with me and so i don't it's like it's almost like it's not real and i don't have to work on it if it's not put out there to someone else right you know so yeah i just i really need to work on like communicating with people who can help me instead of just shutting them all out and going to therapy and writing is really therapeutic for me so I'm going to try and do more of that and then classic like yoga sure well that's I mean that's why I thought of that like stereotypical yeah right like throwing yourself into yoga yeah yeah seems like it could be good and I suppose bad yeah yeah I love that stuff it's just um I need to recognize when I'm doing that with like the intention of helping myself and when I'm doing it with the intention of distracting myself right. from a bigger problem. Right. I'm going to become the best yoga person yeah. ever. Yeah. 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 Right. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm yeah. so, I'm doing a pose so much better than her yeah. or so much worse than her. Yeah, exactly. Right. You can, I just like, sure. I'm so good at distracting right. myself. And so now I'm like 
So do you imagine your future staying in Texas? For right now, it's it's the best home base for me. Right. And I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, but the reason why I love climbing and I love like all of the opportunities that it's given me to travel and everything, um, which is a lot and still kind of insane to me how much I'm I'm so fortunate that I'm able to do this, you know. Uh, but my favorite part is the community and connecting with people, and that's why I that's why I want to be at World Cups. You know, that's why right. I want to go on a climbing trip is because I want to be a part of the community and I want to be around those people. And um, that's kind of how I feel about Dallas. Like it's the best spot for me to be right now. I love. Every, I love Kyle and everybody that works at Summit, which is the gyms he owns mm-hmm. down there. And I love all the Team Texas people, and my family's there too. So right now, it's it's like the it's the best right. spot for me. And it's a good international airport, so I can I'm gonna hop back and forth sure. between places. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just it makes the most sense for me right, right now. Um, and so I think I think I'll stay there for the. For the short term, at least, right. I know I will. But long term, I don't know. I uh, I really do want to go back to school. I went to school um, at the University of Washington in Seattle, straight out of high school that fall, and then it was just a lot for me to try and balance climbing and school. And I was used to being really good at both, and now they both were kind of slipping, and right. I wasn't really okay with it. And I didn't really know very many people and it was just kind of a difficult situation and so then it was like okay put a pause on this i'm gonna climb now and really take advantage of this moment like the opportunities i have to work with companies like bd and companies like red bull and all of these like this kind of unique time in my life and but i've always known that i want to go back to school and i really miss it i miss like learning and i miss meeting different kinds of people because the only people I ever hang out with are climbers, which is cool. I love climbers, Uh but there's not a lot of variety there, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I know I want to go back to school and I don't know if that'll be in Dallas. I don't know if that'll be like in New York or Colorado or wherever. Yeah. Right. right. Well, that'll probably remain to be seen in terms of of the work you do on, uh, on the next year. Yeah. 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 I think so. So. Well, cool. Thanks for sitting down. Yeah, thank you so um, much. Hopefully, I don't know the traffic noise or whatever. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's been it's been a real pleasure. And uh, I don't know if you feel like your anxiety shows outwardly. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know if you were anxious at all to do this. But a little bit. I know, but bit. it's like I would, you know, if, if it makes you feel any better, there's no way I would have thought that you were anything but on top of this whole oh, thing. Thank you. So, um, and I think the people here at Black Diamond feel the same way. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm good at convincing other people, too. It's not just good at convincing myself. Well, maybe it's just that's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, some, in, some, in some scenarios, yeah. yeah, I feel, like, super comfortable. Like, cool. I love having conversations like this, and I appreciate these kinds of opportunities. But then, like, I can't think of an... And is a situation specifically right, right. that makes but it, me... It, but that's the thing about anxiety is it just it hits you when you're... Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I understand from it, talking yeah, to yeah. other people even on this show, is that, you know, why am I anxious in the in the grocery store? Yeah, you know, I, yeah, right. exactly. It's like, and it's the feeling or wherever of it happens to hit you. When you're super anxious and you you know that you're being irrational, right? but you can't turn it off. Sure. So it's like, I know that these thoughts are like not real. And I know that I'm kind of ruminating on this, like this one thing and I'm like going down that rabbit hole. And I know that it's not true and I know that it's really irrational and doesn't make any sense but you can't pull yourself out of it and that's like the scary part of it you know it's just you kind of lose that control um but yeah I'm happy to be like candid about it Mm -hmm. I um it's something I've dealt with for a really long time and I think it, it definitely helps me to like put that outward and um I wish that more people older than me when I was younger had kind of Right, done the same because it's so common. Right, it's right, so right, right. common. Everybody's just suffering in this silent. Yeah, world. yeah, and everybody has like this shame around it, and I. It's very understandable, but I think the more people that are comfortable with kind of sharing their story and like reaching down, like you're not alone. Like I'm crazy too, and <laughs> uh, not crazy, but right. um, 
like within the climbing community, there's not really like a as much of an open discussion about that sort of thing, and um, it's something I would like to see happen. Cool. I know it's it's important to me, and I know it's important to others. So, well, it's a good example of someone who, you know, you've been very successful in in this world that you, you've been in. I mean, you've had your ups and downs. We've <laughs> talked about them, but nevertheless, from the outside looking in, so I think that's also encouraging. It's not debilitating to the point of having put you so far off track that yeah. you can't function. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably would be encouraging to someone having the similar thoughts, yeah. especially someone young, yeah. you know, uh, and looking at the future of like, well, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. I mean, I, I really believe in climbing and just sport in general as like an incredible vehicle to drive self-discovery and self-empowerment. And I think that these experiences that I've had through climbing and the community and being able to feel comfortable going to a random country and like getting around alone, you know, um, those kinds of things like give me a sense of empowerment in a sense that I, I can take care of myself and like whatever happens, I'm going to figure it out and I know how to handle it. And I think that coupled with other people expressing that they feel the same way and you can kind of work through it together is, is amazing. And climbing, is what has given me that hope and that like assurance. Like I know, I know I'm going to work through it because I care. I care about fixing it and I care about um, working on it every day. And so I know it will work out. And climbing and traveling is what has given me like the the confidence to to say that. And so I think I love seeing like young kids getting into the sport or whatever, like any sport really, just because the community that you find through something like climbing that can take you all over the world or all over the country or wherever and introduce you to all these different types of people, it really like opens your mind, you know? So I, that's, I love that. And I, I want to share that kind of feeling with others or help other people find that sense of confidence in themselves, I guess. All right, folks, thanks for listening. So yeah, the twist, the twist in the end. Anxiety, she deals with anxiety. No way to tell, sitting across the table, that that was the case. I just left the conversation thinking, man, the kids are all right. The kids are all right. So thank you, Claire. Thanks for doing that. I also just realized this is the first episode since Lander. Haven't recapped Lander. Maybe we'll talk about that in the intro to the next show. We had a great time up there selling merch, though, so I want to remind you guys that uh, the Enormacast does have a shop with T-shirts and hats, so if you want to check that out, head over to Enormacast.com and see what kind of wares we have. We're full up on men's shirts again. I got a big order of men's in, and uh, there's a little bit of slim pickings in the women's side, but um, I'll be ordering some of those soon as well, but there's a bunch of stuff left on that side, too, so come check it out and uh, buy something represent all right folks we're just trying to beat the heat still here in colorado most of the lower 48 this time of year is a little rough got to hide out in the shade and those poor europeans having a hell of a summer climbing season it's just brutal over there i don't even want to think about it the 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 implications are are bleak anyway keep your sweaty hands on those ropes make sure to take care of each other out there and of course check your knots stones around is one thing this is totally different no no different only different in your mind you must unlearn what you have learned all right i'll give it a try no try not do or do not there is no try 